it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, May 3rd, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me. Matt Norlander, how are you on Thursday, May 3rd? I don't think we've spoken since uh, last Wednesday on the podcast. Texted a little bit, but I don't think we've actually spoken. How you doing? Yeah, well, you know what? It keeps the podcast fresh, I think, that way. Just, you know, to, uh, to reignite after uh, not having contact each other. There also hasn't been a lot of reason to because it's been relatively slow, and we'll get to the Langford stuff in just a second, but I'm doing well. Um, a quick life update, though. Uh, so we talked some months back here, and I won't digress too much, about whether I should hire a lawn service like you who sits in this castle and can do this, or me, the everyman that can't quite do it. So I got a, I got a riding lawnmower, Parrish. And okay. I got to tell you, I have... First of all, hold on. Have you ever mowed your own lawn before? Not at this house. Oh, okay. All right, but you have okay, but you have done it. I mean, yes, back in a different life, I would do my own yard work, absolutely. But since we've been at this house, which is about ten years, I have never done my own yard work. Well, I gotta say, so I, you know, had to splurge. Actually, used the tax money to pay for this riding mower, which is great. The second I sat on this thing. It was like I was the king of domestication. It, the, 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 feeling, the true feeling of empowerment that came over me that I was about to cut my own damn lawn, it was genuinely satisfying, and it was awesome. But I am going to ask the listeners for their help on one quick thing. So um, the one thing I was unaware of is when you do this, these things are, are loud. So if anyone listening has any recommendations for, like, over-the-ear noise-canceling headphones that can endure like a hot summer day and are going to actually last for a while. That's the one thing that I'm totally in the dark on. So I am I'm crowdsourcing right now. But anyway, so that's been like the biggest event of my past week, essentially, is cutting my own lawn and all the things that come with it. But other than that, I'm doing fine. How you doing? I'm good. I, it's funny because my initial approach to yard work when we moved into this home, because we've got quite a bit, we've got a pretty big backyard. And, um, and, and then you know, we've got, it's just, there's a lot of stuff going on back there. There's a pool and there's a, this, and it's just like, there's a lot of stuff. And so uh, my initial approach was, it's just not worth my time to deal with it. But I also think that in the year 2018, like with podcast and iPhones being so easy to carry around and headphones being so good that you could, like, it could also, it could somewhat be therapeutic, I would imagine. Like just a, Hey, I'm going to escape for an hour, listen to a podcast I enjoy or an album I've been wanting to listen to and just sort of ride around the yard. Like I could actually see myself getting into it now. I mean, I'm not going to, but I could, I could imagine a scenario where I didn't dread it. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. So I wanted to, I wanted to listen to some tunes today and the, the noise of the mower was just too much. My earbuds, I, it wasn't, so I need to get a, a quality pair, but the, absolutely it is. It is a feeling of certain of some of a therapeutic cleansing of the mind. I think just to do that. Plus, there's just something so satisfactory about just like doing it. And I'm not really OCD about it, but like when you're just like cutting through the lines of the grass and just getting your whole yard, it is uh, it is pretty uh, pretty fun. So I'm yeah I'm full boring dad at this point, but I'm embracing it. All the same, and um, but anyway, what do you want to get to for? You want to get to Langford? Well, okay, but first, what? we will talk college basketball. Okay. But this is, it's funny you brought up yard work because the yard people were just here an hour ago. They come every Thursday, and my wife over the weekend had went out and bought a slip and slide for our four year old. 
um, because the, the pool is still a little too cool to get in. And but he but he wanted to be outside. He wanted to be in the water. So she said, okay, we'll just go get a slip inside. And you can just slide around the yard like a little idiot. And so um, she went and got a slipping slide, and. She got the water hose and hooked it up to the slip inside. This is all on Sunday afternoon. And, and and then he, you know, he played on it for 10 minutes and then he got a board like, like he does with everything. And okay. So she left the slip inside out in the yard. She left the water hose out in the yard. Yard people come today. The water hose is green. It kind of blends in a little bit. He ran over it, sliced it in half. He was very apologetic, and I was like, yo, man, it's no big deal. It's all good. Don't worry about it because, like, these guys are out there working their asses off. Like, I'm not going to make them feel bad for running over a water hose. But whose fault is that? Is it his fault or is it my wife's fault for not putting the water hose back up or even my fault for not cleaning up after my wife? Uh, Yeah, I can't blame the guy, particularly because it's green. It blends in, and you got to put the hose back in. So if we're we're really looking at a social contract here – I think it is on, and I would almost never blame your wife for anything. Uh, so by default, I'm going to blame you here. Um, so listen, you're a very kind and generous man. You're not going to obviously take this out of what you're paying him. But even regardless of that, I think in that scenario, it's on the homeowner to bring the hose back in, unless it's like so blatantly like placed somewhere on the lawn where you couldn't possibly miss it. I get the feeling here it was really blending into everything, and, uh, and so it goes. But that's, yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit of a rough one. Yeah, I didn't blame him at all. I mean, I was like, it's frustrating because it's like, yo, that's a, that's a fifty dollar water hose. I'm gonna have to buy another fifty dollar water hose immediately. Um, so like, but whatever. Like, it, you know, it's not. This is what I because Kelly was like, well, why did he run over it? You know, she was she was not mad, but she was like, well, why why couldn't he just move it? And my argument was this: it is their job to cut our yard and edge our yard and weed eat, and that it's not their job to clean up our yard. They have been coming every Thursday for years. We both know this. Perhaps I should have went outside and checked. I just didn't. But, like, you can't leave stuff out in the yard. It's not their job to come, you know, tippy-toe around and make sure they don't run over something or have to actually pick up, like, move a slip and slide, which is what they actually did. They moved the slip and slide out of the way. Like, that's not their job. Like, we should do that. And so, like, it's one of, it is something that's so minor, you're not going to turn it into an argument in a marriage. But it's like, yo, that's probably our fault and i'm only saying ours because i don't want to point the finger directly at you but i really do mean it's your fault it's probably your fault (laughs) yeah this has clearly been something that you've been thinking about over the course of the morning (laughs) and now this is the first avenue in which you've been able to actually talk about it i'm I'm happy to do so but uh, if you do bring this up with your wife be sure to mention that i'm not uh, explicitly just uh putting it all on her because uh, you know, I know how those things can go sometimes. Yeah, no, yeah, she had uh, she had her hands full this morning, so I I don't I don't really like if we have to assign blame, then then she gets the blame. But I'm happy to not assign blame and just chalk it up to sometimes things happen in life. Whatever. Romeo Langford committed to Indiana earlier this week. Consensus five star player, top ten player in America, uh, in state kid, high school legend. I think he. Finished his high school career as the fourth leading scorer in Indiana high school basketball history. So he is um, like a super well-known for a longtime player in that state. And I think it's been assumed for a while, um, maybe even about a year since Archie Miller got that job, that he was going to be able to to convince Romeo Langford to stay home. Certainly after Rick Pitino got fired because there were some people that thought he might end up at Louisville. And that uncertainty there sort of ended that. Um, combine it with Kansas being locked up in an FBI 
situation one way or another. There was just a lot of things that pointed to Romeo Langford staying at home. So it wasn't really a surprise when he picked Indiana. But still, if you're arching that staff, you don't know till you know. And, um, you know, so it's a big relief when he says, I'm going to play basketball at Indiana. How big of a deal is this for not just next season's team, but just Archie Miller and his staff in general? Parrish, I think this is a fairly big deal, particularly for Archie Miller and his staff, because this is another quality recruit from from the state. It's another four-star slash five-star player, Langford, obviously a five-star guy, going to Indiana, and it creates some good momentum going forward. I think it's good for college basketball that if you can have a situation where Archie Miller is really in the mix and able to battle uh, with you know other top ten programs, essentially, and if you want to elevate that to top five programs, that's a really good thing because Indiana was only um, – scarcely doing that under Crean. You know, they got Zeller, which was good. Uh, when Watford committed, that was a good thing. But uh, on an annual basis, it was not happening under Crean at all. And so now you have you've started to really establish yourself in the recruiting realm, even though, you know, Langford being an in-state kid and some people that really are following this stuff might think that it was always going to be in the bag that Lankford was going to go to Indiana. Well, yes and no, because I remember talking with some Indiana uh, writers back uh, during the Big Ten tournament when it was at Madison Square Garden this year. And at the time, one of the big speculations was there has been so much adoration and attention on this kid. What we don't know is... Is he truly enjoying all this or is it a little bit suffocating and might he want to leave state borders and just be able to play college basketball without thousands upon thousands of people just continually giving him all this attention? It, it's one thing to be you know, a star in the non-scholastic grassroots AAU scene where you're getting tons of attention and you, be, and you get a lot of followers on social media and all that stuff. With Lankford... It was more of like an everyday thing. He went to an everyday, you know, normal high school and had people lining up for hours, not just to see him commit, but, you know, after games to do autographs and all this stuff. And so I thought he was going to go to Indiana Parish, but I did not think it was an automatic because I think sometimes fans unintentionally, and it just becomes to be this overwhelming thing, they might wind up putting so much on a kid where he might just say, I got to breathe a little bit here. I got to go somewhere else. I got to leave the state. I would not have blamed Lankford if he did that. And in fact, if he had not picked Indiana, it would have made for an even more dramatic um, story. But what are your thoughts on him picking Indiana, given what he's been through the past four years? And, you know, this is in a way fulfilling a prophecy because the the hopes of that state were very much banking on this decision, almost regardless of what happens with Indiana next year. It was more about the symbolism of Romeo staying in state, going to wear the cream and crimson. I think that as the day approached, it was the only sensible thing for him to do. You know, the, the Kansas is on some level caught up in this FBI thing now. I, the uncertainty there would have scared me away. And I think the father actually said subsequently, like we weren't going to Kansas once that stuff came out. Um, the only other publicly known option or, or, or other school that he was considering was Vanderbilt. And if you're telling me you're going to be a four-year player, I'd say go to Vanderbilt. It's an amazing education, but that's not who he is. Um, and, and, Though they do have two other five-star prospects enrolling, 
probably not the type of roster that would be ready to go out and do anything of of, of note, you know, in what is probably going to be Romeo Langford's one year of college. So leave the state to what? Go be a six seed in the NCAA tournament? You know, so what? Whereas if you stay home, you, you know, you're going to matter in that state forever. I mean, it's really like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a, a somebody who matters in a positive way in that state forever? Or just known as one of the kids that left left the state when you're not embraced the same way, even if you go on to NBA stardom? Uh, to me, it was a, a pretty easy decision. While recognizing that what you say is valid, like, can it just become suffocating and you want to breathe a little bit, expand your horizons a little bit? I, I personally will never blame a kid for leaving home for exactly that reason, but I guess I'd just say it this way. If I were Romeo Langford's father, I would have advised him to do exactly what he did. If I were Romeo Langford, I would have done exactly what he did. Now, here's – all right, so he, he commits on – what was it, Monday, Tuesday? I've lost track of my days here. But he commits Monday night. And um, listen, it's the, the ceremony was long and over the top and all that stuff. And if we want to get into that, we can, but whatever. Like, also – um, given all that he's done for the state, and and this was also his moment, I, I don't have a huge issue with it. Even though we can kind of debate on the pros and cons of that, but here's what I'm getting at, Parrish. I as I watched his commitment ceremony, um, I I hope that the Indiana fan base can enter next season with the right amount of perspective and optimism because this is some this is some serious godding up of this kid and he's an awesome basketball player he's an all-time high school legend no matter what happens the rest of the way here but the way that he was presented and compared to Abraham Lincoln <laughs> among other people um i got the sense that the tenor of that ceremony and the grandiosity and merely the fact that like there was national media there, some of which our friends, you know, Dan O'Neill, Pat Forty, they were there because the, the Kentucky Derby was a few days later. So actually the sports calendar itself allowed for more media to be there uh, and cover this thing. I just get the sense that it, maybe it'll be a great thing. Maybe it'll be a cautionary tale one day. But there was so much building up of Lankford at the ceremony when he committed that it's like, oh, Indiana, okay, they're going to be a top 25 team. They're automatic. They're going to be a sweet 16 type of team next season no matter what happens. Like, this is going to be what Romeo is going to do. He's going to help save the, save the program, go on to bigger and better things. I'm a little concerned uh, just about that. Do, don't you see a situation where this kind of continues into next season and a lot of that burden we were talking about is placed on Langford's shoulders more than Archie and more than anyone on that team? I could certainly see it. And you're right. The announcement was over the top. Um, but I'm sort of like, you know, when people start talking about Abraham Lincoln at a high school basketball players, but college announcement, like we've gone too far. Uh, but it, these kids dream of these days. And I, I, I used to, you know, I would, I would publicly, you know, sort of rant, like, what are you doing? Like, who's in charge of this? Um, this is this is you're, you're just a, a you're just a very good basketball player. That's that's it. On the other hand, it, it means something to everybody in that room. You know, they, 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 like Romeo clearly been dreaming of that day for a while. Um, it's a big moment for his parents. Obviously, there's an audience for it because they had to actually turn people away. And so, like, who am I to to crap on that? Like, enjoy it. You know, I can I can roll my eyes from a distance 
and, and quietly, but enjoy it, you know, and, and if somebody makes a silly comparison like you to like a high school basketball player to Abraham Lincoln, then we can all laugh and chuckle. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's anything to get upset about it. It, it is what it is. And I, I imagine knowing my personality, if I would have been great at anything at that age and in a situation where multiple schools were killing for me and if I were when I when it, the day came for me to make an announcement about where I would attend college that anybody in this world other than my parents cared, I would probably handle it ridiculously. <laughs> so I'm not going to blame another 18 year old for uh, for getting caught up in getting caught up in the moment a little bit. And really, it wasn't him caught up in the moment as much as it was sure. some other people. The one thing um, that I did find interesting as I was writing a column about it on Monday night is something you touched on, which is that. Indiana high school stars haven't been picking Indiana lately. And I'll give full credit where credit's due. Jeff Barzello, our buddy from ESPN, tweeted something about he's the first, like, you know, top-ranked something to go to – maybe first top-ranked Indiana high school player to go to Indiana since Cody Zeller. Right, which is true. It was something like that. And I was like, ooh. And so I went and, like, started looking it up. And what I found is that if you go by 24-7 sports composite rankings, in the previous five recruiting classes, so before the class of 2018, in the previous five, there were a total of 23 four-star or five-star prospects went to high school in the state of Indiana. And only one of the 23 actually enrolled at Indiana. Now, some of that is skewed because there's a prominent prep school in the state that enrolls kids who aren't necessarily Indiana kids in the traditional sense. But still, one out of 23? Like, that's I, – I, I would have never guessed that, A. And I'd be, I didn't even realize it. I, I, I'm sure that there are Indiana fans listening right now. They're, they're very aware of that. But I did not realize how often – and let's just be honest, as much as we like him – uh, how often Tom Crean was was not securing the top-level in-state talent in his final years there. Now, he still was able to win outright Big Ten titles. So, like, you know, he was still plucking quality guys and finding under-the-radar guys, most notably uh, Victor Oladipo, OG Ananobi. But they had not been getting the top-tier Indiana talent. And I say all that to say that there were four such players in the class of 2018. Again, the description, four-star, five-star prospect, went to high school in the state of Indiana and Archie Miller and his staff were able to get three of the four, most notably Romeo Langford. Dave, it's as going back to what we said at the top here, this conversation, that's why it's good for college basketball. Great for that staff, obviously uplifting for the Indiana fan base that you have a blue blood. That's really back in the mix here. And obviously locking down your state borders and all that recruiting uh, verbiage is, is so critical, especially when Indiana, which cares so much about its high school basketball and then, then by just because of, of how many high schools and how much they care about it, it just produces really good talent, four-star or five-star, on an annual basis. And, yes, right now, and we still have to wait another three or four years here, but right now um, it looks like Indiana has made the right decision in, in getting rid of Tom Crean to get Archie Miller. And I think most everyone thought that was going to wind up working out uh, for the better, and Indiana's certainly on its way. It didn't make the tournament in Miller's first year, nor was it expected to. We'll see what happens next year. Um, I wanted to run one thing by you with Langford because I, because I think he's probably 
the second most well-known player in this class to Zion, who's Zion's one of the most famous high school athletes, I mean, ever, uh, basketball-wise. He's just, it's it's insane uh, how well-known he is. But Langford, I got to figure, is number two. Here's what I think is going to happen, Parrish. Because there was such pomp and circumstance with Langford's commitment, because it, it, you know, it waited all the way until the final day of April. Indiana's going to be on the come-up next year. They're going to be good. Langford's a scorer. I expect Indiana to be good. I expect Lankford to average anywhere between 19 and 23 points a game. I think we're going to get a lot of Trey Young Lankford treatment because he's going to be a freshman name people are aware of. He's got an interesting name. He's got a fun game. He can score. He's not a point guard, but just to, you know, this is a theory right now. We'll see. Well, you know, let's circle back in, uh, around Christmas time and see if it winds up coming true. I can absolutely see a scenario where Indiana starts off playing pretty well. Romeo as a freshman, if as long as Archie Miller's going to give him the green light and he's talented enough where I think that he will, Romeo puts up a couple of 30-plus point games. Maybe it's against inferior competition. Maybe it's not. Indiana does well for itself. And suddenly, Romeo Lankford becomes one of the focal points of college basketball coverage. That could be good. It could be bad. A lot of people hated the way Trey Young was covered. Um, and so little of it was Trey Young's fault. Let's remind people that he, for a good portion of the season, was actually averaging double-digit assists. Again, Langford is not a point guard. He's not the same kind of player as Trey Young. But I can absolutely see a situation where he is covered and tracked similar to Trey. Again, given if Indiana's good and Romeo is leading the team in scoring and putting up you know, well over 20 points per game, would you agree that that's going to happen? Or do you think Trey Young is more of a one-time-only kind of deal? I don't – well, I mean, in some ways he was literally a one-time-only kind of deal, like in leading the nation in scoring and assists. That's never been done, and I don't think Romeo Langford is going to break that record. But um, I think it's going to be a big story day-to-day in the state of Indiana. And then if Indiana's good and Romeo is a star, then it becomes a big, big national story. But I think it's mostly – because I don't think Indiana is going to be preseason top 25. And so – you know, neither was Oklahoma, but like, you know, we weren't, we didn't spend any, like, I don't think we spent a minute last off season or preseason talking about Trey Young. You know, that, that, that happened, um, basically out of nowhere, you know, they, that, and you were there in Oregon, like he, he's posting big numbers. Oklahoma's winning games that people didn't think Oklahoma could win. They go win at Wichita state. Um, and you know, they, they suddenly they're ranked in the top 10 in the country. And it's like, here's a, here's a top 10 team. Big name school with a kid who's leading the country in assist and, and points. And he's making shots in a Steph Curry kind of way. Like, I do think that was kind of a very unique situation. And I think that a lot of those same things would have to happen for Romeo to become a huge national story the way Trey Young became a national story. Let's make sure we understand what we're talking about here. When reporters are going to Cleveland Cavaliers pregames, and asking LeBron James about Trey Young. Yeah. When porters are going to Oklahoma City pregames and asking Russell Westbrook about Trey Young. Like I I I think for that to happen for Romeo, he's got to post big numbers, but Indiana also has to be good. It, it, you you otherwise it just remains a, a a huge story, but a huge story in the state. Yeah, it, and that might be how it goes. I can I can see listen, he's a really talented player. He's fun to watch. I can see a situation where it goes that way. Well, let's just, you know, let's see how this actually all plays out as well. Indiana does have other talent. We'll see if Jawan Morgan comes back, which I would think that he should. And if he does, 
I don't know. Maybe Indiana cracks the, the bottom half of the preseason top 25. Maybe it doesn't. I can see a situation in where the Hoosiers grow into being a top 25-level team. I could definitely see that happening. Um, they'll be one of the key intriguing teams to watch next season because it will be year two under Archie. They will have some nice freshman talent coming in. They have a top 10 class now with Langford. They bumped up, I think, from 21 to, to 9 or 10 overall. Um, so it's impressive nonetheless. And, yeah, that was the last big commitment for the upcoming season. Now we're going to hit July in, in due time here, and that'll be recruiting a bunch of guys who will be for the year after. But Romeo was the last really big name you need to know that's going to be on a college basketball court next season. Um, perhaps. There's always the subject of reclassification. You know, there, there are still some multiple 2019 kids that are at least considering it, five-star type of guys. And that transitions nicely into our next topic, I guess, because earlier this week, Joey Baker, who's a top 30 player, Class of 2019 uh, announced that he is reclassifying to 2018, so he will be yet another five-star prospect on the Duke roster next season. How big of a deal is this? Is he somebody who's going to help them next season? I actually don't know. Um, And I'm a little – I'm not befuddled by it, I guess. How many minutes is he going to get? You know, the one thing that – if they got such a loaded freshman class, I mean, I'm wondering how minutes are going to be spread spread around. If you look in recent years, you know, Duke has done a great job recruiting, obviously, magnificent, right at the level of Kentucky and all of that. But there have been plenty of players who have come in as five-star prospects, not adapted right away, four-star prospects who wound up transferring out. Um, I'm not projecting that's going to happen here by any means, but um, the way that Krzyzewski has operated his roster, and this is really, I, I feel this is fairly consistent over the course of the past 20 years. It's been a lot of sink or swim. He's not, Duke is rarely known for having deep teams. Coach K's not going 10 deep, and usually by the time he gets to the to the start of March, uh, he's got a starting five, a very reliable reserve, and then in a given year, like last year, they had six guys. Some, usually they'll go with seven, sometimes eight. So I don't know. We'll see what kind of impact he has, and then the guys coming back, what they can do overall. It certainly strengthens Duke's roster. Um, I thought I heard something about maybe this kid redshirting as well. We'll see if that actually happens or not, which will be a super weird decision. You, you wouldn't want to reclassify and then to redshirt, but we'll, we'll see what comes of it. Overall, Duke does have – you know, Reddish and, and then Zion. We'll see what kind of uh, what kind of impact he has. And Barrett is such a fantastic player. Um, let's remember though, like it, it, Duke is now in the situation here where year over year, it's just like okay, who's on Duke this year? They are they are just like Kentucky. And last year at least we had Grayson Allen. Don't even have that this year. So a little bit of a reboot. I I expect Duke to be good, but a little inconsistent. I am. Interested to see how the pieces work all together here, Parrish, because at least last year you had a lead role with Grayson Allen, and last year you had just an undeniable NBA-ready player that they had never had. But, like, R.J. Barrett's good, Cam Reddish is good, but they're not unique to what Duke has had in its system over the past 10 or 15 years. To me, Marvin Bagley III was that. This team won't necessarily have that. How does Baker fit in? I can't tell you right now. I, I, I'm not convinced that he's going to be a guy that averages north of 10 minutes a game. Yeah, I would, I'd be surprised if he's that helpful um, in the 2018-19 season. But if he just wants to go ahead and get in school at Duke and 
get better training and, you know, start this college class, whatever. Like, I, I, I think I don't want to sound like a broken record, but my opinion on these things are usually uh, pretty similar. Like, hey, as long as you understand exactly what you're doing and your parents have helped you understand exactly what you're doing, what you're what you're giving up, what you're gaining, the, the risks, the rewards, the pros, cons, then do whatever you want to do. And uh, this is clearly something that they want to do. And it's it's becoming more common than ever. Um, like uh, when I was in high school, nobody reclassified, <laughs> but now, bas- but now if you're a five-star basketball player, like it's, it's almost like you have to deny you're going to do it or else we assume uh, that you might. Uh, so it's a interesting uh, little trend, but, uh, yeah, with him, we'll, we'll see uh, whether he, are uh, red shirts or actually is a, is a, is a true freshman. And if he is on the active roster, uh, how much he is able to play. Cause he's obviously surrounded. He's a, he's a, he's a, uh, incredibly talented young man but he's on a roster with a whole bunch of talented young men and and a lot of them are are at least uh, according to the recruiting rankings more talented than him we'll see um the last thing i wanted to get into and i know we're in a college basketball podcast but it's interesting to me and i think we can tie it together uh, donovan mitchell has become one of the stars of these nba playoffs whether he'll win rookie of the year or not we'll see it's either him or ben simmons but um, he had an amazing rookie season, and he's been amazing in these playoffs. He had a spectacular putback dunk last night. That's a, you know, a, a gone viral highlight. And he's currently tied one-one in a Western Conference semifinals playoff series against the top-seeded Houston Rockets. Now, the truth is, rookies don't normally help teams that are good enough to be in the Western Conference semifinals or Eastern Conference semifinals. And yet you can argue he's their best player as a rookie on a team that's three wins away from going to the Western Conference finals. I don't think they'll get there, Um, but it's not out of the question. They now have home court advantage. And he's doing this as a rookie, being a star in the NBA as a rookie, even though he was never a star in two years of college basketball. How rare is that? Like that, I, I understand that sometimes guys who weren't stars in college go on to be stars in the NBA. DeAndre Jordan's an example of that. But I'm talking about somebody who spent two years in college and was not a star. You know, he wasn't the ACC Player of the Year. He wasn't a first-team All-American. He wasn't a second-team All-American. He wasn't a third-team All-American. According to the Associated Press, he was an honorable mention All-American. Just a guy. Very good, good, but just a guy. And yet, as a rookie, he's an NBA star. He is, you could reasonably argue that he is better as a rookie in the NBA than he was as a sophomore in college. And that blows my mind. I love Donovan Mitchell's story, Parrish. He was a fun, but just another guy on a Louisville team that was good. But at times, I when he was on the roster, I remember thinking Quentin Snyder or Dang Adele were more important to that team. Certainly Dang Adele sometimes was even more uh, flashy than Donovan Mitchell. And I remember last year when he was – his stock went high pre-draft, and it was more and more like Donovan Mitchell is going to be a lottery pick. And I remember thinking – all right, I can see he's got the athleticism. I could see that, but man, like I don't know. Uh, just to me, he's a guy that I would probably rank in, you know, the late twenties to early thirties if I was looking. And again, this is why sometimes scouting can pay off in such a huge way. I don't get it. 
I don't. I don't understand how he has been this awesome. Sometimes it's it's definitely a matter of a player clicking with the right organization, having the right pieces around him, and then just finding another level of what he's capable of, and that's clearly the case with, with Donovan. I think it's awesome. I also think it can be a little bit dangerous for guys that want to leave that are on the cusp of this kind of stuff because there are not going to be four Donovan Mitchells every single year. He is absolutely um, an exception to the rule and an aberrational uh, turn of a plot twist here. And I do enjoy so much of what he has done. Parrish, let me just bring up the All-Stars this year because I want to touch on what you said. Let's see who else might apply. So this is this year's All-Star team. Well, let, let me be clear. Nobody else is going to apply in the way that I'm applying this. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But I just want to... rookie being a star right. after not being a star in college. Right. Like, if you told me, hey, Donovan Mitchell in year four looks like an NBA all-star, I'd have been like, okay, maybe. I mean, who knows? Those kind of things happen all the time. Right. But Donovan Mitchell as a rookie is an NBA star, and yet in two years at Louisville, he was never actually a college star. I think that – I'm not going to say it's unprecedented because, like, somebody it, – it's rare. It's rare for somebody to be doing what he's doing after being what he was in college. Agreed. Um, you know, Brogdon wasn't nearly this good, but Brogdon was a second-round pick who became rookie of the year after having a very productive but not star-driven college career, four-year career. So Brogdon, in his own sense, Malcolm Brogdon with the Bucks. Yeah, that's not bad. That, that's not common. To, to, to go four years, get drafted, and then prove yourself to be the best rookie in the game, That I don't know if that's actually happened since the 1980s, to be honest with you. But there is no – so, yeah, so just so we're clear, Mitchell has no parallel, but I wanted to look at the the NBA All-Stars and see who is an NBA All-Star from – Here we go, here we go. Let me, let me stop for okay. a second. Malcolm Brogdon was an ACC Player of the Year. Okay. Yeah, he was awesome, <laughs> but he was not – Parrish, he was, he was really, really good. But you would agree, and part of this is the uniform he wore and the style they played, like Malcolm Brogdon was not a star. Would you agree with that at the college level, or would you qualify him as a star? If you're the ACC Player of the Year, yeah. All right, fair I enough. Mean, I mean, yeah, a first, a first team All American. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, was he really a first team a star? If you're a first team All American, you're a star. That's, yeah. All right. So this year's NBA All Stars, the starters were this: Cousins, star in college; Anthony Davis, star in college; Kevin Durant, star in college. Kyrie Irving doesn't apply. He would have been like he was basically a star, he even though he almost star. never played for Duke. LeBron James didn't go to college. Giannis didn't go to college. Steph Curry, star in college. Joel Embiid, yes, I think even though he had injury issues, Joel Embiid's talent was star. recognized. Star in college, James Harden, star in college, even um, out at ASU. Now, DeMar DeRozan was a very, very highly rated recruit who was quality. I don't know if he was a starter this year. He was good. I don't know if he ever tapped into his potential in college, but he was still identified from the age of 16, 17 as, as being a super high quality player. Maybe he flirts with a little bit of it. Let's go to the reserves here. Jimmy Butler has been way better than anyone thought he would be. He was not a star in college, but he was a really quality player who's bumped up. Draymond Green was a star in college. Al Horford was a star in college. Damian Lillard was a star in college, even though you might not have seen him play. He was so clearly the best player in his league. Now, he has been a better NBA player than some people thought. Let's not forget about the fact that he was the sixth overall pick in the 2011 NBA draft. Kyle Lowry absolutely was a star in college. Klay Thompson thrived in anonymity. But he was still pretty, pretty good, and I, I don't think that he would fall into this pool. Carl Anthony Towns, obviously a star in college. We'll go down the rest of the reserves here. LaMarcus Aldridge absolutely was a star in college. Bradley Beal was a star in college. 
Goran Dragic didn't apply. Andre Drummond was good, not, not good. great. Yeah. Good, not great, but it was it was the number one rated player in his class, number two. Yes. Um, so, again, this is he's just one of those cases where he was still identified as a player who could be really good, but he has become a better pro than a college player, there's no doubt about it. Here is the closest comparison. He was a good, he was a good player. Actually, before I get to him, I'll, I'll run down the rest. Kevin Love, star in college. Victor Oladipo, low-rated recruit who became a star in college, has translated well to the NBA. Porzingis didn't go to college. Kemba Walker, absolutely. In fact, Kemba Walker might be the most decorated like, because he was in college. Like, Durant was awesome and was a better college player, but but Walker was the most awesome. Him and Steph, really, were the most awesome over the longest period of time in college and wound up being all-stars. John Wall, awesome in college. Russell Westbrook, not as good in college as he's become in the pros. And, in fact, you can make a strong argument he was extremely underutilized by Ben Howland. I think people didn't realize how good he would be. Um, he was not a star in college, but he was a – key athletic piece but here's the one closest guy I think and he was good in college but became awesome and that's Paul George who played in, in anonymity at Fresno State and then within like the first three years or four years of his career again not like Donovan Mitchell but became this go-to score alpha type of player he's the only current all-star that I think you could even put at the same table as Donovan and it's still not the same I love what Donovan Mitchell has done, and I love the fact that he's doing it in a smaller market like Utah. The Jazz are absolutely must-watch. So Paul George, uh, you know, obviously goes from a totally off-the-radar college player uh, to a star in the NBA. But here's my point: as a rookie, he averaged 7.8 points per game. Donovan Mitchell is averaging 20, is leading, is the leading scorer for a team that is in the Western Conference semifinals as a rookie. Like, like we just went through the entire all-star team. Nobody fits the description of what we're watching. So, like, I guess let me ask you this. What did we miss? Because, by the way, it wasn't just us. You know, where was he picked? Like 11th in the draft? You know, he... he, he, Something like that, yeah. By the way, which is a reminder of why, you know, as these mock drafts start to take shape, people have... No, Donovan Mitchell, 13th pick in last year's draft. People have these like opinions, not so much about who could go number one, but about who can't go in the top three or who can't go in the top five. Like if you say something like, you know what, I'd take Mikel Bridges in the top five. I, I'm not saying that, by the way. But like, for instance, people would immediately go, there's no way Mikel Bridges should go in the top five because no mock draft has him in the top five. But – Mikel Bridges could be a top three player, top three rookie in the NBA next year. You you could look up on it and go, oh, wow, we, we, we missed on that one because Donovan Mitchell is the ultimate miss. Nobody had him as a top five pick. And he is, uh, you know, depending on what you think of Jason Tatum, quite clearly the prospect from the class of – from the NBA draft class of 2017 who looks like the surest bet to be a star if only because he's already a star. Mm-hmm. I, what did we miss, uh, Parrish? I don't. I don't know. Like th- we also have to allow for the reality that he has just gotten into the absolute right situation for himself and taken advantage of it, and has the right kind of teammates that are allowing him to flourish. He is. You you can't take your eyes off him when he plays, and uh, you know this is bound to go down in his legend. Now, it provided that he continues to to have all star type of seasons going forward. Rick Pitino thought he should have come back to school. This has now become part of his story is that 
he was a talented college basketball player, an impact guy in the ACC, but not a guy who was discussed on a weekly basis as one of the stars of the game. And his coach, who is considered one of the best ever from a tactician standpoint at the college level, thought that he needed one more year of development. Now, coaches will sometimes do this for selfish reasons, but Patino really has never been known too much for that kind of deal. And and yet, it was a it was a miss by the one person who should have been able to evaluate him more honestly and up close than anyone else. He missed on it too, and what he has become here is uh, is crazy. And I, I just uh, circle back to my point here, not to repeat myself too much, though. Um, we are not going to get this every year because we almost never get it to begin with. But um, seeing what Donovan Mitchell has become, I, th- I think it will allow guys who are in the first round for sure that know, like, okay, no matter what, like, people are the feedback I'm getting, you know, I know that I'm going to be a top 25 pick. Guys are going to be thinking I can become the next Donovan Mitchell. It's just not that easy. Yeah, and it's been fun in these playoffs watching because we don't, you know, by and large, you know, the most talented it's just sort of the way it's set up. The most talented rookies play for bad teams. And so they're not on this stage. You know, their seasons are done in April. And yet we're getting to watch Donovan Mitchell, rookie, star for a team in the Western Conference semifinals. Jason Tatum, rookie, get to star for, you know, a Boston Celtics team in the Eastern Conference semifinals. We don't normally get rookies, guys that, you know, we were just, you and I, you know, covering a year ago, um, uh, producing at a, in a big way uh, at this stage of the NBA playoffs, if at all, in the NBA playoffs. So it's been uh, it's been fun to watch, and no story is better than the Donovan Mitchell story. Uh, just to put a bow on this, in his sophomore year of college at Louisville, which was his last year of college at Louisville, he averaged 15.6 points, 4.9 rebounds, and 2.7 assists in 32.3 minutes per game. As a rookie with the Utah Jazz, he averaged 20.5 points, 3.7 rebounds, and 3.7 assists in 33.4 minutes per game. So the minutes are about the same, but he averaged roughly five more points, about a one about one rebound less, and one more assist per game. And again, he's doing it for a good team. He shot 32.9% from three in two years of college, shot 34% from three as a rookie in the NBA. So it pretty uh, it is a pretty remarkable story that is should, I, that, should we get off this thing and let I you go to do your i got one quick note here i want to i just it came down before we did this podcast and i think this is pretty <laughs> cool just a small quick schedule note because this came out today so um one of the best games of the 2018 tournament was loyola versus nevada they're going to play each other because the mountain west and missouri valley have an annual series you may or may not be aware so november 27th which i'm figuring is after Thanksgiving? I don't know how that's going to work. Maybe it's before Thanksgiving. Either way, Nevada will go to Loyola, and both those teams are going to be good next year. Nevada's going to be – Nevada, especially if it gets its guys back who are currently going through the draft process, Nevada could actually work itself into being like a top 12, top 13 kind of team next season overall, and they will play a road game at Loyola, who's still going to be pretty good even though it loses a couple of seniors. So that's just a small – schedule nugget and we are so far out from the regular season that we're going to forget about this game but you know in the next 10 minutes essentially but that within the context of the season once we get there that'll be one of the coolest and biggest games of that given week because they're both going to be really good teams and they just played a fantastic tournament game uh the season before so that's a fun mid-major type of game we don't get a lot of those in a given season but this one 
uh, credit to the schedule makers for making sure that that Mountain West Missouri Valley Challenge put the two teams that had to face each other. They will. That game will be in Chicago. It's smart. Um, I think for both programs, especially for Muss, because, yeah, if he gets his players back, I mean, I got him as a preseason top 10 team. They're going to be good regardless, but they can be preseason top 10 if they if if they get the players back that, you know, that that they they can, that they're eligible to still to still get back. And it's it's something we've talked about. If you are in a league like this version of the Mountain West or the West Coast Conference, shouts to Randy Bennett. And and you know you're going to have a good team. Go go play road games. Go play real because you're gonna you're gonna run through your league. You're gonna in January, February, early March. You're gonna get a billion wins, but they're not gonna be worth anything to you. So in the non-league, go play big games, games that can help you with the committee. If you lose them, so what? You're still probably gonna get an auto bid by winning your conference tournament. And if you win them, they provide a a safety net for if you slip up uh, in your conference tournament and don't get that auto bid. Like it really is from my perspective, a all reward, very little risk proposition. And so uh, my advice to any coach of a program outside of a top seven league in America would be this. If you know your team's good, go schedule as aggressively as you can in the non-league because you're probably going to run through your league. Like if you've got a legitimate top 30 team outside of, a top seven league in the country, you're probably going to run through your league. So just go try to get wins outside of your league. If you get them, you become a national story. If you don't, doesn't matter because you're still probably going to be in a great position to get an auto bid um, when you need it come March. And so it's it's cool to see Nevada and uh, and Loyola Chicago, which I think both could you know maybe qualify as a top 30 team in America reasonably, um, taking advantage of of this situation. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's the legend. And remember to go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Please rate it favorably. Five stars with nice comments. That's all we ask from you. And we will be back at some point next week. We promise. Till then, take care.